Good evening. It is good to see you tonight. Uh, happy early New Year. Ever we get to New Year, jokes like that. Uh, next year, one is often said. And uh, I walked in the auditorium this morning and somebody said, this is the last time I'm listening to you this year. <laughs> I said, it was the last time I'm talking to you this year. So turns out it wasn't exactly true because here we are again and that was this morning. So this would be the last time talking to you this year. If you have your Bibles, look at Psalm 112. That's where we'll focus our attention this evening, Psalm 112. We'll talk about discouragement, and the exhortation will be, don't be discouraged, because God never forgets the righteous. The book of Psalms is great to that end by way of encouragement when one is discouraged and turning our attention to God. Uh, specifically, verse number six says, for he will never be forsaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. Why not be discouraged? Because he will never be forsaken. When we say don't be discouraged, I don't know that we mean that absolutely. Uh, never be discouraged. The word discouragement means a loss of confidence or enthusiasm or dispiritedness. And it's the case that you could actually experience that. There might be any number of reasons. I'll share a few. You could experience that because of personal sin. Personal sin can discourage you. It can certainly discourage uh, the one who is so involved. Luke 15, verses 18 and 19, the young son who is there in the pig's pen, he says, I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. These are his words. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He's probably experienced some discouragement if that's what he feels. I'm not even worthy to be called a son. He's probably been discouraged. You could be discouraged for personal sin. You could be discouraged because of wickedness, the wickedness that exists in the world, and you having to deal with it can sometimes cause discouragement. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 10 and 11 would be an example of that. The Bible says of Elijah, then he came to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Here's Elijah's answer. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Why is he in the cave? He believes he's the only one left. They've forsaken you. I haven't. I'm not alone. I'm the only one. And they're now seeking my life. Well, he's probably discouraged. The wickedness that's in the world. Jezebel wants to kill him. God's people have been apathetic. Back in chapter 18, he asked them, how long will you go limping between two opinions? If God is God, serve him. And if not, then serve Baal. He's probably discouraged because of the wickedness that existed in the world. There's another thing that can cause discouragement. It's not wickedness. It's the opposite. It could be just doing good. You do good long enough in the face of evil could lead to discouragement. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 9, the Bible says, let us not be weary or let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time you will reap if you don't grow weary. Why would one grow weary? Why would we be warned not to lose heart for doing good? Because in the face of doing good constantly while receiving evil, you could grow weary of doing good. 
Parents could experience that. Elders, members, spouses, children, employers, employees, citizens. You could all, everybody could at some point be discouraged. It's possible to be discouraged. Sometimes when you read the Bible and it says, don't be discouraged or don't do this, you, you might be led to believe, well, I, I can never experience that. God allows Christians to experience all of the emotions of humanity, and we do. And so Scripture will say, be angry and sin not. It won't say don't be angry. Discouragement can happen, even to the most faithful of God's children. The point is, God does not want us to be overwhelmed with discouragement. He doesn't want us to remain discouraged. He doesn't want us to give up because of discouragement. Elijah is discouraged, but he also needed to come out of the cave. And the psalmist provides reasons not to be overcome with discouragement, and he also provides motivation to come out if you are. So let's look at Psalm 112, and let's not be discouraged because God will never forget the righteous. Outline of the psalm very quickly is the man is blessed who fears God, verse 1. The benefits of fearing God, verses 2 through 4, first part of verse 4. And then there's the character of the blessed man, verses 4 through 9, second half of verse 4. And then finally, vindication of the blessed man in verse number 10. Three reasons the state of the man helps him not to be discouraged. Three things. Number one, and we'll just bounce all over the psalm back and forward as we make some of these points. But point number one is he's blessed. Here is a man who is blessed. Why not be discouraged? Well, you're blessed. The verse says, praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Why not be discouraged? Well, this man is blessed. And for that, you might look at other psalms like Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. That's why he's blessed. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters. This man is that man. He's blessed. He rejects wicked counsel. He delights and meditates in God's word. Why not be discouraged? The man fears God. He's blessed. Another man that's blessed in the psalm, Psalm 32, verse 1 and verse number 2, blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. How is he blessed? Well, he's forgiven. His transgressions are covered. This man is blessed. That's reason number one. Number two, his children are blessed. Look there in verse number two. His, his descendants or his children will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Mighty in the earth, generations of the upright what has this man done? He's taught another generation of people to be faithful. And there can be no greater blessing than to be faithful yourself and then to teach another generation to be faithful individuals. Well, there's no reason to be discouraged. He's blessed. He's blessed another generation of God's people. And as you read through the Bible, that's exactly what God would desire, that those who love him and have given him their heart would then teach their children to do the same thing. Passages like Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 10. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children. Ephesians 6 and verse number 4. 
What's the father to do? Bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Don't provoke them to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. When Paul wrote to Timothy, this is one of the things he said, that from a child you have known the holy commandments. You've known the holy scriptures make you wise unto salvation. Who taught him that? His grandmother and his mother. And now it's your faith, Timothy. Why is this man blessed? Well, he's blessed. He fears the Lord. He's blessed. He has his transgressions forgiven. He's blessed, and he's blessed another generation. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. Another reason there in verse number five, why is this man blessed? He says, it is well with the man. It's well with the man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in judgment. It's well with him. We sing a song. It's a beautiful song. It is well with my soul. What does he have? Peace. Peace in his heart. Peace in his life. He is gracious. Not only that, he's gracious and he kinds to others. He's gentle. He gives. He lends. He does good. You know, if you are at peace, if you are gracious, if you're kind, it's well with you. If it's well with you, well, you're blessed, forgiven, you fear God, you've taught another generation. He goes on and on about this man. Verse number three, he will be sustained. Verse number three, he is righteous, his righteousness will endure. Again, in verse number four, he will have guidance. In verse number four, he sows a spiritual righteous life. He's gracious and compassionate and righteous. The security of the man protects him from being overwhelmed by discouragement. It's not that he's not discouraged. Occasionally, he may experience it too, but he's not overwhelmed by it. And three reasons are listed in the psalm as to why this man is not overwhelmed by this discouragement. Three times, at least in the King James, the word forever is used with reference to this man. It's there, first of all, in verse number 3. Verse number three says, with regards to this man, wealth and riches are his house and his righteousness endures forever. His legacy is one of faith. His righteousness endures forever. Neither the world nor wickedness will overcome him. He will stand as a testimony of faith in his generation. And we see people in the Bible just like that. Noah comes to mind. A man who was righteous in his generation. His righteousness endures. Lot, another righteous man. That's how Peter refers to Lot in 2 Peter 2. They vexed his righteous soul. The faithful will stand. His righteousness will endure. Jesus would say it this way. He built his house on the rock. Secondly, he leaves a righteous memory, verse number 6. For he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. He'll never be shaken. House is built on the rock. And the righteous will be remembered. We referenced this morning Hebrews chapter 11. Are we still remembering those righteous people? To this hour, are we still remembering individuals who lived in Genesis 4? Indeed we are. And how long will they be remembered as long as the earth stands? Genesis 4, Abel will always be righteous, and so too Lot and Noah and all of the people, Abraham and all of those individuals. Enoch walked with God. Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Joshua. Time would fail, he says, to talk about Gideon and Barak, the prophets, and David. He will be remembered. 
The third thing is the, he leaves a righteous character, verse number 9. He has given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. The faithful will be remembered by God. His death will end in righteousness. He's lived a righteous and faithful life, and he will reap everlasting life. The righteous impact the world for good, and so his righteousness will endure. Three things next, three things he will do that strengthen him from being discouraged. Beginning in verse number five, it says of him, he will maintain his cause in judgment, or he will conduct his affairs with justice. The righteous are never overwhelmed by the wicked because they never become wicked. They are always counter to the wickedness they receive. In the midst of darkness, you know what the righteous does, Matthew 5, 16, they go into that darkness and they let their light shine. Let your light so shine before men. What does he do? He conducts his affairs with justice. Be holy, Peter would say, for he who has called you is holy, 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16. What does one do in the midst of unholiness? He's holy. There's always a way for the righteous to live in such a way as to make the circumstance better by their being there. He maintains his cause. Paul would urge us as a result of that, be not conformed to this world, Romans 12, verse 1 and verse number 2. And we see it in the Old Testament and the New. Individuals like Daniel stand out. In the midst of wickedness, maintaining his cause, maintaining his justice, conducting his affairs with righteousness. Daniel chapter 6 and verse number 4, the Bible says, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error was fault was found in him. These men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. We can't find any. You know what Daniel keeps doing? He keeps conducting his affairs in righteousness. He keeps his cause just. Number two, as a result of that, he'll never be moved. He'll never be shaken or moved. King James says moved. Verse number six, the first part says, for he will never be shaken. Why won't he ever be shaken? The second part of that verse says, the righteous will be remembered forever. The righteous have lived this truth in both covenants. God does not forget righteous people. God does not abandon righteous people. When Elijah is in the cave alone, it's God who comes to him and urges him to come out of the cave, Elijah. When Elijah believed he was alone, it's God who told him, I have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. This morning, we talked about the brethren receiving the Hebrew epistle. You know, within that epistle, as he is encouraging them to faith, 
he effectively says the same thing. It's Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9. He says this, But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That you be not slothful, but followers of him who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Why should I continue? Maybe I am discouraged. Why should I get? God is not unrighteous to forget your labor. God will not leave you. God will not abandon you. God will not forget. Paul writing to Timothy as he urged Timothy to get back into the fight. Timothy, stir up the gift. Timothy, get in and don't quit and don't be ashamed. And then he says this, in chapter 4 of that book, 2 Timothy, in verse 16, he says, At my first defense or first answer, no man stood with me. All men forsook me. I pray God it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. You know when you are discouraged, you might feel alone, but God is there with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. That was the promise. And throughout the Old Testament, you tell me which one of his children did he abandon? Which one of his children did he leave? Which one did he forsake? Which one did he let down? There just isn't one the righteous will be remembered. He got Daniel out of the lion's den. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Daniel 3, 15 to 18. Why could they stand so boldly before Nebuchadnezzar? Why were they able to pronounce such faith? Because they were very sure, very confident God is with us. And we are not even careful to answer you about this. And whether he saves us or not, you know, sometimes when you read that, you might be tempted to think, well, that doesn't sound really assuring if he doesn't save us or not. You know, if he saves them, he saves them. If he doesn't save them, he saves them. Well, what do you mean? Well, if he saves them from being consumed in the fire, well, then he saved them. That's right. But what if they were thrown in the fire and consumed? What would have happened? Oh, I don't know. They just would have gone to glory. He'd have saved them. There's no way for them to lose. And so they just tell Nebuchadnezzar, it doesn't really matter what you do. You're not creating any angst in us. If he does, he does. He can. If he doesn't, we win. You decide what you want to do, but we know what we're going to do, and what we're not going to do is bow down. And he's not going to forsake us. How do I and why would I get over this? Listen, God doesn't forsake the righteous. With God on your side, you have nothing to fear. What can man do to you? This verse says he will never be shaken because he built his house upon the rock. Matthew 7, 24 and 25. Question, when your house can't fall, then why do I need to be afraid of a storm? 
I built my house on the rock, and it can't fall. Do your best with your storms. That's what Jesus is saying. Why is this man wise? He built his house on the rock. What happened? The rain came. And then what happened? The flood rolled. And then what happened? The wind blew, and they did their best. And what happened to his house? It stood. Because if Jesus is the architect, and Jesus is the rock, and Jesus builds the house, then we don't have anything that can tear it down. His soul is in the hands of God. That's what Paul would say in Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, it could try. Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. Don't you just love the way the Bible says things? You know it could have just said, in all these things, we're conquerors. That would have been sufficient. It would have said we win. It would have said we overcome, but it doesn't say that. It says in all these things, we are more. What's more than conquerors? I don't know, but isn't it good? <laughs> in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things, to come, things that are here, things that are not here, things we don't even know about, height, death, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ. The verse says it. He'll never be moved. He'll never be shaken. His foundation will endure forever. Unshakable. His security rests in the infinite power of God, and therefore he'll never be moved. The result of that is verse number 7, the first part of that verse. He will not fear evil tidings. He will not fear evil tidings. I suppose could be any number of things. It could be threats from the enemies. It could be acts of war or aggression. It could be bad news, natural disasters, loss of family, death, defection, we have examples of this in the Bible as well. There is Job, James 5, 11, and 12. Take, my brethren, Job. Take the prophets as an example of suffering, affliction, endurance. Here's a man who loved his family. He was rich, respected, faithful, and he lost everything in a day. Lost all the oxen and the donkeys, the beast of burdens, the work of his livelihood, Job 1.14, he lost all of that. The servants who tended to those animals and allowed him to do and have all of those, he lost them too, 115. The sheep, animals for clothing and food, he lost them too, 116. Camels, animals for travel and he lost them too, 117. And then 118 and 19, he lost all of his children. Job did not fear any evil tidings because his heart and his horn keep him from being discouraged his heart was steadfast trusting in god your faith in god must be in him it's imperative that number one you separate god from his creation and number two you talk about god in terms of his personhood of his divine nature and character, and you trust that. Faith cannot be predicated upon hearing only the good news. It can't be that every time things are good, that's when my faith is good. 
I will believe as long as everything is well. That can't be your faith. I'll believe as long as I'm in good health. That can't be your faith. I, I believe as long as I have lots of money. That can't be your faith. I believe as long as everyone treats me well. That can't be your faith. Some are willing to stop trusting God as soon as they hear evil tidings. The blessed man, he fears the Lord. That's how this psalm opens. Now, I tell you all of that because it's important to make this distinction. It doesn't say he won't hear evil tidings. It says he won't fear evil tidings. Will evil come to this man? Yes. Can he avoid it? No. The storms come. But when they come to him, he doesn't fear them. He hears them. They come to his house too. All that lost Job experience, he actually experienced all of that loss. But he didn't fear it. How do you know he didn't fear it? Because the Scripture records his reaction. When he heard all of that, Job says, The Lord gives, the Lord taketh away. Naked have I come into the world, naked shall I return thither. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that's right because actually the Lord didn't take it. But in Job's mind, that's what he understood. But listen to his reaction. Did he fear the, the news? He heard the tidings. The animals are lost. The, 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 the servants are lost. The children are lost. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Later in the book, chapter 23 and verse 10, Job says this about God. But he, Jehovah, God, he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His ways have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from my commandments of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That's after the evil tidings doesn't say he won't hear it, doesn't say it won't reach his house, doesn't say he won't experience it. It says he will not fear it. David, another example of one who received evil tidings. King Saul tried to kill him. His wife was taken from him. His son took his kingdom and went to war against him. His captain disobeyed and betrayed him. His counselor betrayed him and counseled against him. God punished him for numbering the people. And David said, I have been young and I have been old, and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Number two, his heart is upheld. He will not fear. That's verse 8. His heart is upheld. He will not fear until he looks with satisfaction on his adversaries. In that same psalm, Psalm 23, David would later say this down in verse number 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. John would say it this way. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith and fear, they don't reside in the same heart. 
And so the Bible is going to constantly urge that by faith, fear can be removed. If God is for us, who can be against us? There's no one to fear if you fear the Lord. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer is still no. There is no thing that's too hard for the Lord, and there is therefore nothing to fear. Since God is from everlasting to everlasting, then there's no time to fear. Boy, I don't know what's going to happen in 2024. I don't know. I'm worried. I'm I know who does. I know God knows, and I know it'll be well with my soul if God knows. God knows the beginning and the end, and therefore the unknown causes no fear. His horn will be exalted in honor. That's verse number nine. He has given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. Horn representing might or strength or power, a peak or a mountain, a ray, figuratively power, his position, his station. Maybe it's a ruler that he has in mind. His horn is exalted in honor. The whole of the psalm would suggest as much. Verse number one, praise the Lord. Why? Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. We began with the fear of the Lord, and we end with the honor of men. And that's usually the way it works as you read through Scripture. The man who, ends, who fears the Lord is honored. At the end, that's what we keep reading. We keep reading how no matter what happens, we start with Noah, and then we go through his life. At the end, he's honored. We start with Abraham, and by the end, he's honored. Maybe Moses, you start and then go to, the, he'll be honored. Joshua, Joseph, you name the person. Esther, you name the person. This is the way it works. You fear the Lord, and the Lord brings honor to man, not discouragement. Finally, in verse number 10, the righteous will be vindicated, and therefore he has no need for discouragement. Verse number 10 says, the wicked will see it and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked will perish. It constantly looks like in every generation, the wicked are winning. It always looks like that. And it always looks like the righteous are losing. And so the wicked are always loud and verbose and always bragging and always seeking and scheming ways to put the righteous down. And it often looks like they're winning, which is why Scripture would urge, fret not because of evildoers. Don't envy the wicked, it would urge. Why? Because God knows how this ends. As far as the challenges go, God knows. God is faithful. God is watching. God is with and among his people, and God is ultimately in control. And so every one of those Bible characters that we talk about, in the end, it was the righteous that won out. It was holiness that won out. It was faithfulness that won out. Solomon is right with regards to the wicked. He says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore it is fully set in the hearts of men to do evil. It looks like they're winning even to them. But then Solomon continued in Ecclesiastes 8 and verse number 12. He said, though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, Neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. The wicked actually take up one verse in this psalm. The psalm is written without a view toward them. 
It only serves to exalt the blessed man, the righteous man, the God-fearing man, and to tell him, ultimately, you will triumph. The mention of the wicked serves to highlight the first nine verses. And he ends by saying, the wicked will see it and be vexed. What will he see? Verse number one, the blessed man, the descendants of the blessed, the riches of his house, the gracious and compassionate of the righteous man. Verse four, maintaining his cause in judgment. He'll never be shaken. Verse six, his righteousness will be remembered. Verse six, he will not fear evil tidings. Verse seven, you ever heard the people around you say, but there's something different about him. There's something different about her. I don't know why. They never curse. They never go out. They never do this. They never, and I've tried to get them. They see it, and it vexes them. His heart is upheld. He will not fear. He'll look on with satisfaction of his adversaries. He's given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures. His horn will be exalted. The wicked will see it and be vexed. The wicked will gnash and their teeth will melt away. The desire of the wicked will perish. I ask you again, go back in your Bible. Look at the events. Look at the people. Just read through generation after generation after generation. Despite having the lion's shares of the resources, despite being often in the positions of power, Despite having and doing the best they can to cause the righteous to fall, persecution, murder, threats, punishment, robbery, unlawful deeds, wicked schemes and plans, what happens over and over and over again? Wickedness fails and righteousness is exalted. Eight souls left the ark. Three righteous souls left Sodom and Gomorrah. Israel walked right out of Egypt. Job was vindicated. His friends needed his prayer. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were vindicated. Mordecai, not Haman. Christianity spread all over the world. Where's Rome? Where are all of the other religions of that day? When God's people believe that God is right, they won't be discouraged. When God's people believe that God is more powerful than anything the world can conjure up and anything man can do, they won't be discouraged. They're not fighting us. They're fighting against God, and there's no win in that for them. God is not wrong. He's right. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God is all-present. God has never lost, and God will not lose, and God cannot lose. The wicked will perish, and in the end, they need us to share with them the gospel and to pray for more time for them to come to the very God they're working against. Don't be discouraged. God will never forget the righteous. That's us going in to 2024. Not to say that you may not hear bad news, but it is to say that we will not fear it. John would say it this way, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you 
than he that is in the world. Maybe you'll be discouraged, but there's no reason to stay discouraged. And please never give up because of discouragement. You're not a Christian tonight. We implore you, beg with you, plead with you to become one. You need Jesus more than you know. And Jesus stands ready to receive. Do you believe that he's the son of God? Repent, confess his name before men, and be buried with him in baptism for the remission of your sins and let God save you. And then you get to be on the Lord's side and you get to have the Lord fighting for you. That's the blessings of being in Christ. If you've not done that, we urge you to. If you have done that, don't be discouraged. God will never forget and God will never forsake the righteous. We can help you in any way. We invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.